You are listening to Problematic Radio. I'm chilled. A few months back, this show kind of popped off with an episode on UFOs featuring Deep Prasad that preceded by just a week or so an explosion in the press on that subject, unidentified flying objects. The New York Times broke a confirmation on a story they'd previously covered, a story that actually changed my whole perspective on this topic, and, I mean, to a certain extent, our world. It seems like there really just is something happening in our skies. Our government knows it, has no idea what we're looking at, and is actually inviting us into this conversation, sort of asking for our help. We don't know what it is, but we know we're looking at something. I got a huge response to that episode, and one big recurring question was just like, hey, I'm new to all this, what are the most compelling examples of this phenomenon? Where are the stories that are kind of reasonable? Because when you dip into the UFO stuff, there's a lot of crazy shit out there. So let's get into those cases today. I brought Deep Prasad back in to talk about a handful of the most famous and recent UFO stories. We've got three and supporting videos, all of which I'm linking to on Substack, so please go check that out, solana.substack.com, and subscribe. And then we conclude this episode with a chat about an alleged leaked document from the government, which, I mean, it is a kind of crazy story. So linking to the document on Substack as well, and we'll talk about it here. I'm still working through all this stuff myself, so... Don't hate me if I get anything wrong. I'm sure most things in this episode are actually wrong. It is a, let's be real, kind of just insane topic. So buckle up. We are about to get into it. From Nation Factory, I'm Mike Solana, and this is Problematic. Thank you, Deep, for coming back on. Last time we talked about UFOs, our conversation proceeded like a huge explosion of UFO coverage, like by what, like a week or two, suddenly like, you know, the New York Times piece came out. We had a whole fresh round of really insane UFO stories, one in particular, which I want to get into. We'll recap that before we get into the meat of the conversation. So what happened was after that story blew up, then that episode of Problematic did really well. And it started this whole crazy Twitter conversation in tech where people were super enthusiastic about it. And the question I got over and over and over again, there were people who were like, I'm just new to this stuff. Where do I start? Is there like a site where there are, you know, all of the most credible cases or what? Because the New York Times piece, I mean, that was very credible. That, That story was very different from, you know, like alien autopsy or something. And when you start Googling online and looking for alien shit, I mean, it is like, there's a lot of nonsense out there. It's hard to it's it's hard to find the stuff that is reasonable. So I want that. I want to do that. I want to go through some of the, you know, most compelling reasonable cases in history, in recent history in particular, like the 20th century mostly and the 21st century. So, I guess first off the bat, why don't you introduce yourself for folks who maybe are just listening to this episode for the first time? Who are you? What do you do professionally and where is the alien connect here? Where does that come from? That is a totally fair question because it's not obvious. Uh, by profession, I'm a quantum computing scientist. I research NISC algorithms and fault-tolerant algorithms. So NISC stands for Noisy Intermediate Scale Quantum. That's the name of the era of quantum computing that we're in today, where you have these very metaphorically small quantum computers. They're very large physically, but they can only process small amounts of information and it's very error prone to computation. So part of uh, a research as a quantum computing scientist who's in the commercial sector, I'm I'm not uh, just an academic, I'm trying to commercialize these technologies, right? Part of your job has to be understanding 
how do you sort of make sense and predict where this future of quantum is going and write algorithms for that, knowing that it's not there yet. So I do that for as my sort of day job. I run a little startup out of Toronto and also sort of on the, the UAP or alien side, you can say by serendipity or by happenstance, I ended up becoming sort of a like, let's say a known researcher, like somebody who both has his foot in a very sane world of just very deep technology and trying to sell deep tech. But then I'm also known for all these things that I'm doing in terms of like, let's say public outreach. I'm connecting with the guys who are, let's say the people who ran the UFO Pentagon program. You know, these are the people that I kind of constantly interact with and try to sort of put the puzzle pieces together with respect to UAPs or UFOs. They're basically the same term. It's just the DOD and the Navy's attempt now to rebrand UFOs, but it's literally the same thing. Cool. So right off the bat, what I want to do is I want to go back to what started it all, for me at least. The New York Times stuff that broke in the last couple of years is really the first time that I was like, I think there's something possibly here. Like, I, I don't think, and, and, and for me, it was always, it, it was not even, I didn't even have to, it was very much about like, if the New York Times is reporting on this, then there are just a few options here. One, the New York Times was tricked into doing it by the government for some reason that I, I do not understand why the government would want the New York Times to leak a story about <laughs> UFOs. I, I don't get what that is. Either that's what's happening, or two, it's all real. And the government, you know, I, I'm not saying even the UFOs are real, but certainly like they are all think that they're real and have been tracking them. And the New York Times just accurately reporting on that. And then in that bucket, so that that's the bucket that to me, that's really interesting because that's the one that I, I, I just don't think the New York Times is wrong here. What is, are they committing some kind of hoax? Is the government like that? Why? What is the reason? There's no motivation. So I think it's like the easiest thing is just something happened or these people in government, you know, who work in, in the military, they thought they saw something repeatedly again and again and again and again. So then the question is just like, well, what are they? This could just be a few things. I mean, either this is alien technology, crazy, that's the crazy one, or what? Some advanced weapons system from China or Russia? That's also crazy. That's really crazy. That should be, you know, front page news around the world if that's what we think this is. Why don't you summarize it for, for us and, and then we'll we'll start the conversation. Sure. So basically, like for context, and Mike, I'm literally in the same boat as you. I wasn't paying attention to UFOs at all until that 2017 article came out. And even then, I remember having like shock that they were using this word in a serious manner, that there's clearly this thing on the FLIR cam that does not look like a typical plane. And I kind of shelved it for about a year. Then I started investigating again. One thing that I learned is that that New York Times article and CNN and all the outlets covering that UFO program in 2017, it's kind of like the very tip of a very, very, very large iceberg that is only continuously getting more complex as like I, I would say I get into it and as the world is starting to learn too. So we'll touch on that in this podcast as well. Something you have to keep in mind is, okay, what was the big deal in 2017? What was covered? And in 2017, what happened was the government declassified a UFO program. So historically, for the almost 70 years before that, they had said on the record, there's no such thing as a UFO. They can identify everything. Like they have billions of dollars of equipment. Nothing goes unidentified. That's for crackpots. Then suddenly we find out in 2017, they've been spending well over $20 million investigating actual unidentified flying objects for at least five years. And you look at the three videos that belong to cases that 
this UFO program looked at for at least two years. Between 2017 to probably the beginning of 2020, there was a gap. And that gap of uncertainty was the credibility of these three UFO videos. So we've all seen them. Like there's the Atfleer, the GoFast, and then the Tic Tac. But there was a lot of uncertainty and it mattered whether those videos were real because the interviews of the pilots who had actually taken those videos who were present that day, they were saying some things that technically don't match up with what modern science says is possible. These pilots reported, for example, uh, Commander Fravor of the 2004 USS Nimitz incident. That was one of the cases that the Pentagon UFO program investigated. And that's one of the videos that we see, like that's been released. He had said that this object was traveling at anywhere between 31 to 88 times the speed of sound at any given time without any sonic boom. It had complete impunity. It operated in our environment in restricted military airspace like it was untouchable. It did whatever it wanted. And we had been measuring and observing 15 of these things at a time two weeks prior. So sometimes we would observe fleets. It wasn't just one individual object. If Russia or China had tic-tac technology, we would be speaking Russian or Chinese. Like it's very straightforward logic. So we all wanted to know, right? Is this real? That's what changed this year. And ironically, that happened, I think, 12 days after we released our podcast. Like on, <laughs> so, so that was like what launched that news wave. It was that the Department of Defense has officially acknowledged and release those videos through their official channels. Like it's on their website. That's a historic first. They've never posted UFO videos. Why would they? You sent me a handful of really, I guess you would say that these are like your top UFO accounts, I guess. Your top yeah. UFO accounts, the most credible in your opinion. I have mixed feelings about what I saw. I think that none of them are to me as compelling as We'll talk about it because I think I, for some of them, I really don't even know what I was looking at or looking for. So there are three accounts here I want to go over. And then the fourth yeah, was the, the Wilson document leak, which I yeah. want you to go over. So let's just start with the three accounts. The first is took place in 1977 in uh, right. Colares, Brazil. Could you yeah. just, you know, let me know, you know, what was in that video? What are we looking at? Why is it credible in your opinion? Sure. So Colaris was one of the most heavily investigated cases by other, let's say, UFO researchers. It was also investigated by different, let's say, defense groups around the world. And the reason why is because in 1977, what happened was these local residents were somewhat being targeted by some sort of high energy weapon. And we still have no idea what it was. Wait, I don't wait, wait. What, what, what do you mean they were being targeted by a, a high energy weapon? What, when did, what is the evidence so, of that? When did that happen? So the evidence is radiation burns. I mean, obviously, if there's a radiation burn, there has to be a source of radiation, right? And there was nothing obvious or no source of radiation where these people live that could explain it. There was a consistency in the reports. These people were constantly reporting these flashing lights in the skies, these uh, weird objects. Some people literally reported seeing or hearing or, or like meeting aliens for no better, no other word for it. This had been going on initially. Nobody believed the other people in that town, which I find interesting. Well, you sent me uh, a link to a video of just one guy t talking. It was one guy's account. And he talked about like even seeing creatures and things like this. It was pretty trippy stuff, but... What else do we have other than that, 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 that guy's account? So we have medical records that show that there were these unexplained, very systematic radiation burns. We have actual deaths that occurred that have absolutely no... So that, we have evidence for that, but what about the rest of it? What about the UFO link? 
So for the UFO link, it's just as hard as saying there's evidence for you know any other UFO case, right? Like it becomes a very quick sort of like dance of how credible is this witness? I always believe that unless you actually have the sensors or equipment or access to the scientific data that was present at that time, it's all speculation one way or another, like what you believe truly happened. So we have nothing better to go off of than these medical records and the eyewitness testimonies, which I agree. Some of them are very trippy. It's very weird, um, especially from a cultural perspective. You know, you're looking at stuff that's now part of modern UFO lore, but this was coming from a random town, right, in, in Chloris. The, the next one was interesting. It was Zimbabwe in, 19, in 1994. A bunch of school children all saw the same thing. You had over well over 120 kids who reportedly saw it, and 60 of them went on record four studies and they went and underwent interviews about what they saw. These children during lunch break, I believe, they were playing out and they hear or see some sort of giant sort of silvery disc land near their, wherever they were playing. Like uh, it was a lot of open grounds. There were these, like you can say, beings that came out of the ship and each individual who saw this had some sort of almost unique but differing experiences and similar experiences. So Essentially, they were all telepathic in nature. Take it for what you will. Like We'll talk about phenomenology in a second and what these children might even mean. But every single person reported some sort of message. Most of the messages were common or overlapping, which was more or less that we are destroying the environment. This is 1994 in a random school in Zimbabwe, right? They were given visions of like a very clean, picturesque earth. They were not... They were not- were they given, they said they received visions. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, I agree, semantics matter there. <laughs> um, at first when they reported it, they thought that it was just mass hysteria, like the schoolmasters. Then because like each child provided so much detail as if it actually happened, they were all lining up, like they were all consistent in, in reporting the event. It started gaining like national and international coverage. And so one of the psychiatrists, world leading psychiatrists at the time, John Mack of Harvard, he flew over and interviewed these children. And I think that's part of the interview that I sent to you. If not, I'll- Yeah, it was. It. So the, the thing about this one, and it's weird, right? Like we have this impulse to just not believe kids. This is an entire classroom of kids who say they saw the same thing. Children, and, yeah. and my first reaction is like, I don't believe them, which is crazy, <laughs> I guess. But is, I mean, kids well, do- it's kind of root, it's ageism in some respect. It like it's all It is, but like, isn't that valid? Like we don't let kids vote. There's a reason for they're it. Children. They're children and they're brains aren't fully developed. These were yeah. like, they looked at, how old were they like? Age range from six to, I think the oldest would have been 14. I don't, there's a story that blew my mind, um, not alien related, but it is related to kids and also memory and group, like group memory. So uh, there was a school up near Boston, I think it was the early 90s, run by a family, a mom, her son, and her daughter. One of the kids accused them, or I guess one of the parents asked a kid about something and the story came up that there was a, an instance of sexual abuse. So then what happens is all of these psychologists come in and start interviewing all of the kids. And it becomes this crazy thing where like many, many kids in the class talk about being abused. They end up in jail. The, I know the son, over fact, the son was in jail. The business obviously goes under. Years later, the kids start thinking about this and talking to each other. And they're like, hey, 
I don't think that ever happened. Do you think that ever happened to you? They find out that basically like the psychologists convinced them that it happened. They put the memory sort of in their head. And it's like this, you said mass hysteria earlier. And I thought on the one hand, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, is that possible? Can a group of people really believe something that, 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 that didn't happen? Like to me, it makes more sense maybe that they'd be lying for some reason. It's a hoax or whatever, but, but it is possible. Like we do have these instances of people who truly think that they remember something that yep. never happened. There's plenty of evidence now for that. Like, could, could something like that be happening here? We can't uh, rule out that non-zero probability that this was like a mass coordinated hoax amongst, you know, 60 plus school children that they knew that it would last decades. They knew that this would get international coverage. And uh, something that's super cool, there's a documentary on some of these children, like today, like they actually went out and met some of the people and what they're doing today. Apparently, one of the people uh, live in Toronto, which is Pretty interesting. Why is that I, interesting? Because yeah, I live in oh. Toronto. I'd love to meet them. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> Context. <laughs> Anyways, like the fascinating thing is that they all, every single one, stick to their story, which I feel is uh, slightly different than what you brought up, where they kind of had, you know, uncertainties when they started talking about it. These people are very gung ho that this truly happened. And it doesn't mean that they're telling the truth and it's not a hoax. But that's what I say to that. Like, there's definitely a small chance. Well, let's move on to uh, the third story before we get to the Wilson document, which I think is something that you really want to talk about. So in 1980 in Renlisham Forest, you sent me this link to a video. I mean, it seemed like it was like a sort of documentary. It seemed like there were two guys who discovered an aircraft and touched it and photographed it. What was I looking at there? So essentially, it was like a bit of a remake of what happened across two days in 1980 in Rendlesham, which is near like a nuclear base. What was interesting about this case is that, first of all, it it lasted in such a way that there was nuclear radiation left over from the spot that was picked up on. And whenever I hear that, like that's always interesting, right? Because it is very hard to randomly inc- sort of expose a person or environment to nuclear radiation. Isn't it? Without- why is that hard? Well, the reason why it's hard is because you would have to be able to uh, detect or you would know whoever is in the vicinity that is providing that source of nuclear radiation. Like, let's say it's nuclear waste. Take a super simple example. And they take in a bucket. Like, you would need some hoaxer, for example, to, like, just spill it over uh, on, on grass or something like that. And this person, in this case, would have had to have snuck onto a restricted military air base managed to do it multiple days in a row, along with the actual effects of basically hoaxing a a full-blown alien craft, so to speak. Like, I call it alien because it did not follow typical propulsion, did not follow any sort of aerodynamical rules that we would expect, anything that's flying to follow. The interesting thing here that I wanted to note, and I don't know, maybe it's just part of being a really good hoaxer. One of the individuals who touched this thing, who actually touched the craft as it landed, reported that they had a download of binary digits at some point. Like mentally, they saw it for the rest of their life. They still claim this, that they can see it perfectly, that sequence. I find that interesting because, yes, you can easily lie about that, but it's also interesting because of the timing with respect to quantum computing. Nobody had proved that you could create a Turing-complete language on a quantum computer until just after this event. And then beyond that, we hadn't proven yet that you could have a full-blown quantum computation machine that actually runs this language. So Wait, I so, wonder... So, so what happened with the, with the aircraft? Essentially, this thing was... First of all, it doesn't make sense in the sense that it was able to move through trees and dodge the trees very quickly. 
and it was able to levitate and move. So it didn't. Uh, they never actually took a picture of it. I'm not actually sure. I don't think they have any like photo evidence. Because they what claimed... I saw on the documentary looked. I mean, it looked fake. It looked like a prop. Oh, because that's a recreation. Got like, it. Uh, so that explains yeah, why I was like, I "This so. is not real." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally not real. Like so, when the, you, the craft yeah. comes, lands. Yeah. They touch it. He says that he got some digits. Again, we have a story where yeah, so there's no corroboration. There's no proof. It's just two people talking, and it's hard. I hate. I don't want to keep you know, yeah, being skeptical and denying people's realities, but it's like. At the end of the day, if there's not proof, what am I supposed to do with this? And why isn't there proof if these things are really ubiquitous? You know, we all have smartphones now. Someone once said, basically, we now have proof that, you know, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, aliens, all these things are fake because we all have cameras now. And that's there's never been a moment like this in history. You could always say, like, back in the day, it's like, Oh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I saw this crazy thing, but of course I didn't have a, why would I have a camera with me? Now it's like, we all have a camera. There should be better footage of this stuff. We should see more. Shouldn't we see more? I I challenge that assumption or that train of logic. And here's why, like, let's go through this thought experiment. Let's suppose that you have an actual intelligent being that has been here. They've been observing us. They're at least far enough that we can't tell. Why are we supposing that? All we know is that they're unidentified flying objects. It could be a natural phenomenon. It could be, you know, there are a lot of things it could be. Let's just table the fact that I'm already skeptical of the premise, but let's move forward. So let's suppose, fine, it's an intelligent being. Then what? Sure. Let's remove that. Let's assume that it's just UFOs and, and it's just something that it remains unidentified. And let's tie it back to the military case. Let's assume that it might be a natural phenomenon just for this thought experiment. And it's a natural phenomenon that's so, let's say, confusing when it comes to human interaction and how we interact with it, that it leaves a very long legal paper trail that's 20 years long. It leaves a $22 million program. It leaves thousands of scientists and military uh, intelligence specialists, analysts, everybody, you name it. And then lots of hobbyists like myself, dumbfounded as to what it was. Assuming that wasn't a hoax, you have a natural phenomenon that at least has this long, you know what I mean, cultural mark on us, uh, at least regardless of whether what it is or whether it's real, we can prove that that mark is absolutely there now. For example, the UAP uh, Select Senate Committee Intelligence Bill that recently was proposed. To answer your question about why isn't it that our increase in you know household technologies is leading to this? Well, the simple answer is that if it was the case that technology or better sensors was going to do the trick, the military would have figured that out a long time ago. At the very least, it's not going to come from Karen and her iPhone, like the answer. It's, it clearly <laughs> didn't come from billions of dollars worth of military equipment. You know what I mean? Poor Why Karen. would it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Poor Karen, indeed. I, I had to go there. But <laughs> cool. Okay, so the next piece is you might have seen over the past couple of days coverage over the Senate Select Committee Intelligence Bill. And that bill is basically dedicated towards UAPs. Essentially, what this bill that's been proposed and it's been written by members um, in Congress is it's a historical landmark, first of all, because let's go back to the AATIP program, the secret Pentagon UFO program that we found out about a few years ago. Right. This is the thing that, that, that is basically just it's a program for studying the phenomena that they don't understand. Exactly. That was a Pentagon UFO program. And that the, the legislation for that, all the bills, all the action around it, that was done in secrecy. It was literally a classified program, right? The public had no idea that this kind of stuff was happening. That's what's different with this bill that's been proposed. 
And essentially what it's saying is Congress is asking for a task force. It's literally called the UAP task force that they're demanding, which is completely different than just having one off little program. And the reason why it's different is think of what happened during 9-11. One common reason that people say that it happened is because you had the FBI and CIA, just different intel agencies not communicating, right? And had they have done that, maybe they could have avoided the disaster. So in that sort of mindset for the Iraq war, we established a task force that was to counter IEDs. It was called the counter IED task force. And the point of that was to do intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance. So that task force, essentially, you can, if you're wondering, like, I'll keep using that word, but the definition is important. From a layman's perspective, this is not super legal jargon, right? Don't literally take it to the bank. It is a temporary body that can short circuit the amount of bureaucracy in a given government to accomplish a specific goal. So this counter IED task force, for example, they broke down a lot of barriers to be able to figure out how to address that challenge of IEDs. And so we have a new UAP task force that's being proposed here by members within Congress. And what they're asking for is that, listen, we know that there's compartmentalized classified information on UAPs in the Air Force, the CIA, and all these other, uh, let's say, agencies and groups. We want one uniform task force, some guys or, or a group of people who actually look at all the data and, and don't just look at little pieces. And then on top of that, they included in that bill, which I find amazing, it specifically asks and mandates a unclassified intelligence report for the public within 180 days of the bill being passed. And that report will basically be an assessment by the intel community and by their best task force that they put in place as to what the hell is going on with the UFO phenomenon. We're talking about disclosure in the legal transparent way that people have been begging for for 70 years. That I found was like amazing. That doesn't mean though that it's all a done deal. This bill can easily be rejected or it can be easily reframed and reworded if there's enough opposition. Why would it be, yeah, why would there be opposition? What is the, why wouldn't you just say yes to something like, I mean, who is it hurting to have this? (laughs) That's a great question, Mike. Uh, It's hurting the intelligence and defense community. I'm friends with some of the people who actually helped write the wording for this bill. Like, for example, Chris Mellon is a good colleague of mine. He was the third highest ranking DOD official. What I found out through my conversations with these kinds of individuals is that there's a lot of pushback from the intel community and DOD specifically for that line uh, for two reasons. which, 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 Which exact line? What is it? So I'll pull it up for you. I don't want to uh, bring it up by memory. So specifically under advanced aerial threats, the committee further directs the report to include a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena, data, and intelligence reporting collected or held by the Office of Naval Intelligence, including data and intelligence reporting held by the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. Two, a detailed analysis of unidentified phenomena, data collected by A, geospatial intelligence, B, signals intelligence, C, human intelligence, and D, measurement and signals intelligence. So they're talking about collecting UAP data where the eyewitness testimony counts on top of actual, you know, military sensor data. So their geospatial intelligence, for example, will include their different um, satellites. So they don't want the eyewitness accounts to be included. They don't want anything I just listed included. Like this whole thing is for what would be part of the unclassified report that you and I would get, the whole world would have access to. Like these points are all part of that. Like we would 
actually get to see a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena data and intelligence reporting collected or held by the Office of Naval Intelligence, which knows a fuck ton, (laughs) to put it lightly, about the phenomenon. Basically, this is a bill proposed by the Senate Intelligence Committee. All right. So they're one arm and they want a report from the director of national intelligence. They want this bill. It'll affect basically everybody who is in part of some sort of intel agency, whether you're CIA or DIA. And this bill, by the way, is initiated by Senator Marco Rubio, if that matters, which is, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really a political guy, but he's that's like, weird. That's like a weird, that's a weird. So he's, he's like pro He's so he's so pro disclosure. He's uh, pro- I have am I wrong or does it seem like UFO people are maybe a little more right wing? Is that a thing? Totally is the thing. It's why? Totally... why? Why is that? What is the overlap there? That's a, that's a very good question. I think the simple answer is they tend to be more patriotic and, and more uh, like intimate with the military of their country. So when they start talking about Oh, so because the military is talking about it, that means a lot more okay. to the to the right. Okay, interesting. Way more. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, like I tend to this is my belief, right? I don't want to get like crucified for saying this, but like I feel a lot of like liberals or like left leaning people will tend to like scoff more at the military accounts for whatever reason. So yeah, that's just my read. I could be wrong. So this intelligence bill will basically force the United States government to give a unclassified briefing and report on everything that they possibly have understood about UAPs. Like that means that they'll give their best assessment. They'll give like, do we think it's Russia, China, or aliens? Like that will literally have to be part of their mandate. And they would have 180 days to do it. It has teeth, like this bill has teeth. And on top of that, it offers whistleblower protection. That's what connects to the Wilson documents. And we'll right. get into that. Let's get into that now. A leak. Yeah, cool. I had a hard time looking through it because I don't really know what I'm looking for. So I've got this document. It's leaked. One, do we know it's real? How do we know it's real? And then two, summarize the document for me. Sure. So the document is a transcript taken by a CIA scientist uh, named Dr. Eric Davis, who worked for this UFO Pentagon program, by the way, the one that was declassified. And now this transcript was taken. He recorded it. Uh, he wrote it down with in a conversation that he had with Admiral Wilson, who was the director of the DIA during 1999 to 2002. And this is during the time period that this transcript was written. What these documents are is Davis's like recording of his conversation with Wilson on Wilson's investigation into a very deep and buried classified special access program hidden somewhere in the DOD. So this is wild, but get get this: a civilian UFO researcher named Stephen Greer super polarizing figure had come to Admiral Wilson a few years prior to this. Wait, said, why was he, why is he polarizing? Some of the things he believes and like does is just ludicrous, dude. Like it's like, he's a great guy. Like I don't want to knock him, but you know, he'll take pictures that are shoddy pictures and say it's aliens, like that kind of stuff. He really tried to push this human mummy as being like a alien mummy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> a crazy person. So what, what, what so, I'm sorry. We are doctor, <laughs> but yeah. So, so a crazy person who sometimes is right. And this was one of those scenarios. He comes up, imagine a guy like that coming up to you. You're one of the most powerful people in the nation, probably on the planet at the time. Like Wilson, like he reported to the president, this guy comes up to you, this dude, and he shows you all this documentation and his documentation of a classified program with classified codes that you had no idea about, yet it's fully following protocol. It seems like a legit program, and there's no way 
this dude should know it on top of all that. The program was purported to be a reverse engineering program, reverse engineering alien technology in the actual sense of the word. What Wait, I, where does this guy allege he got the information from? He got it from a whistleblower from that program, somebody who was an insider. And so Admiral worked. Wilson... He had no idea it existed, and he didn't know. For, he he spent years looking for it. And like, why was he looking for it? That's an interesting piece of this puzzle. It seems like I mean, it is, is he a UFO enthusiast? No, but he's a guy who's supposed to know about all these programs. Why, why would he be looking for it if he had never, Why would he be looking for something he had no idea existed? Because like he needed to make sure this program didn't exist, right? You can't why? have. Uh, you can't have a civilian. First of all, it's illegal. No, I'm saying like, why would you? It's like you. you, you there's, he wouldn't have even known it existed. Why would he be looking for something? I understand why he might not want it to exist or why he might not want something to exist that he doesn't know anything about. But if you don't know anything about something, how can you be looking for something? That's where Greer comes in, right? That's why I mentioned him. He's the guy who brought these documents to Wilson. Wilson oh, had so no- we're, okay, got it. Yeah, do you see the connection now? You know, I, yes, but I, th- I thought that you were saying that he had been looking for this his entire career before Greer showed up. Oh, no, 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 no. yeah, sorry. No, not at all, not at all. So he when, had no idea. When did this take place? This happened, that conversation happened in 1999, I believe. Like a three, three So now he's before. got this information that there's this crazy program, yeah. and then what? And, and then he spends three years investigating it. This guy, keep in mind, he had access and oversight at the oversight committee for special access programs. Special access programs are those like money drainers in the Department of Defense. They are basically clear to do all the super crazy, you know, mad science stuff that you can think of. And so he had clearance in theory to know about every single one of these programs. It would be illegal for a program not to report to him. And so that's what it shocked him. There was documentation, at least, that such program existed. So he spends three years, finds it finally through some sort of like very cleverly buried paper trail. But he finally found that paper trail and he had been following it. And he finds a couple of the guys who are running this sap. He finds out, like you'll see in the transcript, his recount of the story, what happens after he gets a briefing. He literally strong arms these guys. Like he flies out to their location, figures out who they are, tells them he's coming. And uh, they throw him some bones, you can say. That transcript that you're reading is that conversation between Eric Davis, the UFO program scientist, and Admiral Wilson. When it leaked, by the way, six months ago, people thought it was a hoax because the content in it was so ridiculously just hard to believe. You have this admiral, this high-ranking guy saying that he's been told that there's a program, there's reverse engineering, intact alien craft. Like that was literally what's included in the transcript. What are the craziest pieces of the leaked document for people who I'm going to link it in the, in the description of it's worth it because it will podcast, but I would like you to, to to go through some of the choice quotes. So what the biggest choice quote is that it's a reverse engineering program. And Admiral Wilson says, what are you reverse engineering? And they say it's a craft not built on earth, not built by human hands. I think that's like, you need, like people need to read that. So the person who asked that is Admiral Wilson, the person who's reporting to the precedent. He's literally, he has a Wikipedia page. Like this is a real individual. Have either of these men confirmed that the document is real? Neither of these gentlemen. Uh, First of all, Eric Davis has done his best to confirm that it's real as much as he can without going to jail. If either of these gentlemen confirm like directly and say this document is real, they can go to jail. Like this is true in the sense that in the most legal sense of the word and the reason why has he ever explicitly i think wait a better question might be like well has he ever denied it have either of them ever been like this is crazy yeah but the admiral has the admiral has said this is not true he says none of it's true 
Yeah, he get this. He says it's not true. It's not a real document. Uh, it never came from Eric Davis. Here's where the fun part happens. I'm connected to the guy who actually owns the legal original documents and the digital evidence and all the proof that it came from Dr. Eric Davis. We know that they're real. Dr. Eric Davis knows it's real. He's in fact even said on record that he had to bring in a lawyer who's advised him on how to go about dealing with the situation because. That document that was leaked, it contains classified information. So if a guy who has a high security clearance, you know, comments in any affirmatory manner that any of that is real, yeah, they're basically confirming that classified information is real. And that's uh, that's treason. So that's where the, the, the complexity comes in, because uh, you'll even see in the documents, I believe, like Wilson clearly states, if you break my trust, I'll deny ever meeting you or, or knowing you. And, and that's actually exactly what's happening. Like Davis refuses to say that it's a hoax. He also confirms that it comes from Edgar Mitchell's estate. Edgar Mitchell is the sixth person to walk on the moon. And his estate is now owned by my friend, like one of my friends. So that's what I mean by having direct access to that legal evidence that we can prove in court that these documents are real. And that's why I brought up, like I mentioned to you privately, that the, the more the public is aware of what's going on, the better it is for all of us. Because right now, these men are all in danger of punitive action. And if that happens, if an invest official investigation happens, uh, we'll never hear about this program. And if that gets launched, this becomes a super classified matter, like anything to deal with it, any legal cases, any legal issues, everything will get red taped to no tomorrow. It'll be hard even for a journalist to start poking around. But right now, there's time, and there are journalists, a couple of them, some I've connected to these people, others who have found their way to the source, which is why I'm sure that there will be a New York Times article at some point uh, in the near future. On, on this on document? These, on these documents, yeah. Wow, the uh, New York Times is like a strange place these days. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I mean, they have like the craziest Twitter antics ever. It's like absolute tribal oh, wow. warfare on one hand. Then you have just like overt political affiliations now. But then... This, like, crazy alien shit. I mean, how does it all fit in? I'm just fa endlessly fascinated by the New York Times. I just, like, cannot make sense of what so, the hell is going on over there. So, yeah, they're, uh, they're for what it's worth, they're not the only ones. I can't mention the other news agency that I'm trying to get this in with, but, you know, they're not New York Times. And I think to answer your question, they're super fractured in the sense that the journalists I'm referring to have nothing to do with anything other than UFO-related stuff. I feel like they don't represent NYT in that sense, like the attitude, the persona. They're literally here to get this, like, global news. You know but I mean? someone at New York Times is making a decision to have someone like that on staff, which is interesting. Oh, That's really interesting that they think it's important enough to follow. Yeah, or at least not fire them or punish them, right, for trying to even bring this mm -hmm. uh, to the table. I'll just say one thing. Like, the New York Times would never run, none of these mainstream media articles or outlets would run a story without at least two corroborative witnesses for whatever it is they're claiming or writing about. So they must have found somebody other than the two guys I mentioned today who can corroborate some of this or, like, part of the program. Who knows? I mean, that would be amazing. So that's why this intelligence bill is so, it's so imperative that it gets passed. Because even if this investigation happens, right, if this bill passes, we should still be able to hear about it. Thoughts on where this is all headed? I think that we'll see the tech world quickly joining us. Like they already started with that first, you know, DOD wave a couple of months ago. I, I literally had an influx. I think thanks to like talking to you too as well, like and how well-timed our conversation was, I literally had like thousands of new you know, Silicon Valley VCs and CEOs joining. And I believe that's going to happen again. 
with the Wilson documents hitting mainstream news, with the UAP intelligence bill and some other stuff that I, I know are coming up. I think that we'll start seeing sort of a shift and how much of a grassroots movement is going on at the tech world level. Like imagine what happens if you have the best tech lawyers saying, you know what, we want that craft. Like, what are you going to do about it? That's what I want to see. I want that, you know, if this technology is real, it shouldn't be some military toy. It should be for all scientists who are trying to advance humanity. It can't just be a stupid weapon. You are listening to Problematic. 